DJ hit that track. The kingdom of God is as multifaceted and mysterious as our creator. A kingdom we only see now through a glass darkly. Though we can't picture it fully, God's kingdom is the story told in scripture from the garden to the city. And in the middle of the story, God chose to reveal his kingdom in a new way. The gospel is not only Jesus coming and dying to save us from our sins, it's also the story of God establishing his dwelling, dominion, and dynasty in the world. We live as both citizens and strangers, prisoners of hope in this shadow kingdom, all while knowing it's not our true home, that something better is coming, that God's perfect kingdom is coming. Wow, give it up for the bumper. Awesome. All right, if you don't have a Bible, they're coming your way along with a note page and pens. We'll be getting to you. Holy Bible. Um, <laughs> once you get your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew 1, verse 1. Everyone turn around and say, hi, Nikki. <laughs> She's like, I hate you. Um, all right, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. We are on week 2 of Citizens and Strangers. This is going to be an awesome series. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we've been working our way through the entire Bible. It's going to take us three years. We are on the final year of that three-year plan. We're going to finish the New Testament this year. We started Matthew last week, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is visiting us in the flesh tonight, which is awesome. He's like, he's like, I didn't even know I wrote a book. That's crazy. Um, so the Gospel of Matthew, we're in chapter 1, verse 1. And let me give you some recap and just kind of the overview of this series. Um, see, the kingdom of God started a long time ago, ago, obviously. But it continues today, and it will continue tomorrow and on into the future. And, uh, and, and though we can't see it fully, we are caught up in that story. Today... We live both as citizens and strangers, hoping and praying for the kingdom to come. We live in the, hear this out, we live in the already, not yet. Um, prisoners of hope in this shadow kingdom, all while knowing it's not our true home. Something better is coming. God's perfect kingdom is coming. That's kind of our intro to it. Um, and I wanted to give you some key words to this on your notes just to start off before we even read Matthew 1, because you're going to hear these three words a lot. We actually preached the whole sermon series on these three words, but just to recap everyone and make sure everyone knows what we're talking about, when we say the words dwelling, dominion, and dynasty, what do we mean? What are other words that will help you understand that? So next to dwelling, you can put the word presence. Dwelling, presence. Dwelling means presence. When we say God wants to dwell with his people, what we're saying is we want, that God wants to be present with his people, that it's a relationship. He wants interaction with his people. Dwelling equals presence. Everyone got that? We. Okay. The next one, dominion. Dominion. This is the toughest one to add a word to, but dominion equals rule or maybe reign. Uh, we put rule there, but the idea is um, the fullness of all of this, the fullness of the kingdom. Where are the boundary lines to God's kingdom? Um, where does it start and where does it end? Does it start? Does it end? 
What are the rules within that? So dominion means the rule of God, the rule of God. And then dynasty equals king. Dynasty is equal to king. When we say dynasty, we're talking about the king, the, the king of it. And, and really, Adam kind of broke this down. It's hard for us to understand how a king works, how thrones work, how kingdoms work, because we live in a democracy. But you guys have read enough stories and fairy tales and all that good stuff. You kind of get the picture, right? So dynasty equals king. Everyone good with all three of those? All right. Then we get to Matthew 1.1, and this is a super important verse in the Bible. And a lot of people don't think it is, but it's very important, and we're going to read this verse over and over again until we understand it tonight, and uh, some of you guys are going to be disappointed. Um, but Matthew 1.1, everyone there? Okay, it says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Wow. What a verse. What a verse. An important verse. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why is that an important verse? Why is that so important? And why would most people overlook it? But we're not going to because we're trademark and we've just spent two years going through the Old Testament. So we know that that's an important verse, right? Of course we do, but if we don't, let's recap a little bit. The coming of Jesus, of Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to both Abraham and David. And actually, if you were here last week, Adam talked about the promise that he made to Eve. The promise he made to Eve, right? It, it's the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise to establish his kingdom on earth. That earth would be his kingdom. It's all about Jesus, right? You hear that all the time. Can you say that out loud on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. It's all about Jesus. Everything from Genesis, the book of Genesis, to Revelation, everything points to Jesus. The Old Testament, you've heard this a thousand times by now. The Old Testament points ahead to Jesus. The Gospels are the life of Jesus. The New Testament points back to Jesus in the Gospels and ahead to Jesus' victorious return in Revelation. Everything in the Bible is pointing to Jesus. And so when we talk about the kingdom, whose kingdom are we talking about? Jesus. You guys are so smart. Give it up for yourselves. It feels good. Two years in the Old Testament, and we know that the answer is always Jesus. We worked hard to get there. Um, so last week, if you weren't here last week, last week um, Adam started our series and shared about God's kingdom. And he took us back to Genesis because that's where it starts, right? For those of you who have been here, how many of you notice that oftentimes it's necessary for us to refer back to Genesis? Almost, it doesn't matter what the topic is, we're always starting back in Genesis. And, and we were reminded last week that all though the earth is the Lord's, and this is his kingdom, he gives man a job, right? He gives man a job that we are to rule and to reign within his kingdom. We're supposed to um, have some sort of dominion over the land and the animals, and we're supposed to be doing righteous things, just things. We have a job to do to serve as kings and queens under and in God's kingdom. And even after, and we talked about this last week again, even after sin messed everything up, God promises that one day he will send a new king. One day he will send a perfect king. One day he makes this promise to Eve. One day he will send someone 
a man who will crush or bruise the head of the serpent. One day, someday, this promise is given to Eve, this comforting word that although sin messed everything up, and it was her fault, she was the one who entered into sin. It was her fault. But even in that sin, God is so good that one day a new king, a perfect king, would come and crush the head of the serpent. So Matthew 1 verse 1 isn't random history. It's vital history. It's so vital. It's the most important piece of history ever. I'm going to offend a lot of you, and I'm going to offend every history teacher who's not a Christian. But it's more important than learning about any war. Any war. It, it's more important than learning about any evil dictator. It's more important than, than learning about your own country's history. For you guys, that would be American history, or for some of you, uh, Mexico's history. Um, <laughs> your own country's history, or even the history of your own ethnicity or race. Your race, your ethnicity's history doesn't even matter in comparison to this vital piece of history of who Jesus is. This is Jesus. This is the king promised. You, you can, you can um, note that actually this isn't a fill in the blank, but Jesus is, it kind of just makes sense. Jesus is the promised king. Jesus is the promised king. When, when Eve is given this promise, this is all leading to, because everything points to Jesus. So then Matthew 1.1 says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. A little more powerful now, right? A little more important. You with me now that you know a little more history? Okay, but why is David in here? Why is Abraham in here? If it's all about Jesus, why even mention the pawns in the story? Why bring those guys up? They're dead and gone. Turn with me to Genesis 15. You're like, back to Genesis again? I know. Genesis to 15. Genesis to 15. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Why is David and Abraham so important? What does it have to do with Jesus? See, in Genesis 15, 1 through 20, I should turn there too. We're going to read it. This is a, another promise that's given. And, and you might think the Bible is just full of promises. That's not true. There, there's actually not a ton of promises or covenants that God makes with his people. It's, it's small. Um, it, it, it's not like hundreds. It's like some people think two, some people think 20. Like it's not a lot. It's very, very few. And in Genesis 15, we get, get one of these. And it, it's God's promise or God's covenant with, with Abraham. And follow along with me after we read this. 15 verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. In a vision, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? Cocky, okay. For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my, and a member of my, household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven, look toward heaven, and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans, 
to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, um, as for I will ask for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the, the Kadamanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, uh, the Rephaim, and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. We'll stop there before we have to say any more shites. Um, it gets dangerous. Got to be careful with your shites. Um, God makes a covenant, a promise. Some of you will get that later. God makes a covenant, a promise with Abraham. What does God promise Abraham? I know it's kind of confusing. There's lots of stuff in there. What's that? Land. He promises this land, right? Clearly. He, once he says he's going to establish his dwelling, he's going to be present with him. Clearly, they're talking, they're communicating, they're present with each other. And dominion, he gives them a land. It's actually clearly laid out. He even gives them boundaries for the land. He's like, that river there, that's the end. That river there, that's the end. Those people over there, not actually their land. That's your land, right? Like, he, he gives them all these boundaries, and he says there's this dynasty that's going to come through Abram, or Abraham. God expands upon the same promise. Hear this out, because a lot of people will miss this. God expands upon the same promise he made to Eve. It's the same promise he gives to Abraham, but it's a little bit more clear of what it's going to look like. Do you guys see that? To Eve, he says, look, someone's coming. A man will come. And he will be the perfect king. And he will crush the head of the serpent. Abraham comes and he says, look, the snake crusher will come from your family. You can put that down in your notes because that's important. The snake crusher would come from the family of Abraham. In many ways, he's drawing Abraham's attention to the, uh, the same promise made to Eve. The promise is, is more clear. With Eve, we see pretty clear God's presence with his people. And now we see a clearer picture of his physical land and where they will have dominion. And, and what Eve is told, Abraham is actually given a little bit more clarity. It's not just any random dude. This man will come from this family, this specific family, Abraham's family. And when, he's, when he tells Abraham this, Abraham doesn't even have a son. He doesn't even have a son, but Abraham believed him. And so the snake crusher would come from the family of Abraham. 
One more turn in your Bible because we have to see why this Matthew 1, 1 is important for David. So go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and then I promise we won't turn again. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Because it said, this is the son of Abraham and the son of David. So why is David important? See, we see that Abraham's important, just like Eve is important, because this promise given to Eve, this kingdom that is promised, that Eve gets a glimpse of, Abraham gets a clearer picture of, and then we're going to get to David, and I think you guys know where this is going. We're going to see this picture gets kind of un unfolded uh, even more. We get to see more of what God is doing. It's the same promise. It's just being delivered in, in later generations in greater ways. So in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 1, and this is David now, and we can kind of go quickly through this because you guys... We'll see, we're here for our trip through the Old Testament. So I don't even need to tell you who David was too much. Verse 1, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all, all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded? To shepherd my people of Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them. So they may dwell in their own place and be dis disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, whom shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom." He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took from Saul, when I put away from before, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So the snake crusher would come from the family of Abraham, but now we see that when he talks to David, that the snake crusher would be a king. Would be a king, right? He gives all these these cool promises, and, and they seem to be fulfilled in David, right? David's resting. He's celebrating how good life is. How many of you just sit back and celebrate how good life is? Everyone? No one? 
Okay, I'm with you. Sometimes I'm just like, man, I got it good. I got it good. Um, and he's celebrating, and then he, he wants to set out to build a house for the Lord, which is a good thing. Um, and God responds by saying that he will build a house for David. And again, what does he promise him? The same promise with a little more clarity. He promises dwelling, dominion, and dynasty, not just for the land of Israel, right? Not just for a family, but for the whole earth. With the son of David, with the son of David to sit on the throne for how long? Forever. Well, with David, we see this fulfilled and dynasty is more clear and emphasized as his throne will be established forever. So now, not only do we know that the snake crusher would come, which was promised to Eve, then we see to Abraham that the snake crusher would come from this family. And now we see from David that the snake crusher would be a king, that he would be in the line of David, who obviously was in the line of Abraham. And the snake crusher would be a king, and that kingdom would reign forever. The snake crusher would be a king. And then we get to Matthew 1, verse 1. Jesus arrives, and when we read, you can stay in 2 Samuel 7, we're coming back. When we read chapter 1, verse 1, hear it one more time. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And all of a sudden we're like, dang, that's an important verse. There's a lot in that verse, right? And, and the writer of Matthew, give him a little credit, he's assuming you already knew all that, right? He's like, I'll just write one sentence. I'm sure they have this memorized which maybe isn't fair, right? We just spent two years going through it and we probably didn't have it memorized. But it's important, who is Jesus? Jesus is, write this down, maybe a cool thing just to write down, tweet this, Jesus is the snake crusher. Jesus is the snake crusher. When Jesus arrives on the scene in the book of Matthew, he represents the fulfillment of the promise to Eve and Abraham and David, he comes to establish the true and final kingdom of God on the earth. He's a real dude. And through, and, and though God keeps his promises, and, and though his promises were made clearer and clearer through each covenant, the people were still, hear this out, the people were still a bit confused because after all these years and after all these the, the, these, these amazing promises and, and, and these really great kings that they had and these, these prophets that they had, what they were expecting from Jesus was something different than Jesus brought. See, see Jesus showed up and, and it was announced in such a way and, and, and people started to believe, but a lot of people, you kind of know the story, a lot of people didn't believe at all. Jesus shows up and he teaches us something different. He teaches us that the kingdom of God is first and foremost a spiritual kingdom, not a physical one. Which is weird, because last week we talked about how it's physical. In the coming weeks, you're gonna hear how it's physical and spiritual. It's both, but when Jesus shows up, he shows us something really spiritual. And it's shocking to Jesus' followers and to those who might follow Jesus, because they expected him not to show up and be kind of this nice, quiet, meek, humble guy talking about God and talking about love and talking about forgiveness and talking about righteousness. They expected him to show up as a mighty man who would overthrow evil Rome, who would rule and establish a religious holy dictatorship. It's weird, we look through history and, and everyone hates 
dictators, and we always call them evil, but it, you look through history, it's kind of what everyone's always wanted. It's kind of what everyone always wanted, maybe because everyone's evil, right? But it's really what everyone always wanted. And they're expecting Jesus to show up and just wipe out Rome, run the table with them, come in on a mighty steed with an army of, of men ready to battle for Jesus. And instead they get the Jesus you know about, a Jesus who suffers, who's humiliated, and dies on a cross. They don't get a mighty king on a, on a noble steed. They get a, a weak man naked with nails in his hands and feet. And it's just not what they expected. How many of you, like, you don't have to answer this out loud, but you hear the whole kind of backstory and you're like, yeah, I kind of get why the Jews weren't on board with this. I would have expected something more too. I would have expected someone stronger, more handsome, a little bolder, maybe a little arrogant. <laughs> and Jesus comes and he's just, he's not what we expected. And this is true. This is not the kingdom they expected, but it's better. It's so much better. It, it's, not on, it's not an only Jewish kingdom which is what they thought it would be. They thought it would be just a kingdom for the Jews, right? Because in a lot of ways, that's all they had seen. They thought it would just be a Jewish kingdom, but it's not just a Jewish kingdom. It's a kingdom over the whole world, which is why, like, most of us, we shouldn't even be allowed in if it was just for Jews, right? But this is a kingdom for the whole world. The entire universe is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. It's all His the whole universe, it's bigger than you think. It's bigger than they imagined. It's bigger than they could wrap their, their heads around. They, they thought it would be for Israel, and instead it's for the world. It, it's not what they expected, but it's better. You can put that down. The kingdom promise is better than expected. It's better than expected. When Jesus shows up, and, and we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about some of the teachings of Jesus and, and what he tells us, how, how to live in his kingdom, how to operate as citizens and strangers, how to be kings and queens, and, and to do all the things we're called to do. It's very different, but it's better than expected. It's almost upside down, but it's way better than whatever the normal would be. See, see when you get this crucifixion, remember I described this, this naked, weak man on a cross. The crucifixion might look like that, but it's actually a display a coronation, if you will, a, 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 a parade of the ruler of the universe. It's Jesus Christ, and he's crowned as king of the Jews, and he becomes king of the world. And if there's any doubt, if he was just a weak man, three days later, he rises from the grave, and he shows himself off to over 500 people. And says, look what I did. See, he's crowned as king of the world. He now rules and reigns over a cross-shaped kingdom. He rules and reigns over his kingdom. A kingdom, hear this out because this is so cool. A kingdom not separated by classes of people. A kingdom that's, that's not oriented or even concerned with race or ethnicity. A kingdom that's, that's not contingent on how much you know. It's not driven by power or might. It's very different than anyone expected, but it's better than expected. 
in his kingdom, hear this out, because we're going to talk about some of these things in the coming week, in the coming weeks. In his kingdom, the least are the greatest. In the kingdom of God, in this promised kingdom, the least are the greatest. The humble get the praise. The leaders are the servants. And when you say things simply like that, you're like, yeah, that's an upside down kingdom. That's not how kingdoms work. Where do you put a throne in a kingdom like that? How does that even work? Why would the great ones be the least? And why would the leaders be the servants? And why would the humble get the praise? That's so weird. But if you just pause long enough, isn't that what you really want? Isn't that somewhere inside of you where you're like, no, that's good. The, the ones who are humble should get the praise and not the ones who are proud. No, it's good. The ones who are servants, they should be the leaders and not the leaders who turn servants into slaves. That is actually better than expected. And, and we find that that's so true with God. The kingdom is not fully realized. And you can write this down because we're not done yet. The best is yet to come. We're still living on this earth. Sin is still prevalent. It's everywhere. I mean, it, it, is, it is mocked on television. Um, it is, sin is taught in our schools. Fights are happening over this on national television, in, in politics, and with just entertainers and people who don't know anything about what they're saying. Everyone just likes to, to fight about certain things. And, and, and we realize that we still live in a very sinful world. And so even though this kingdom is better than expected, the best is still yet to come. That's why we say things like, it's the already, but not yet. We're already getting there, but we're not yet fully there. Jesus is already on the throne, but we haven't fully realized what that looks like. Similar to how he gave a promise to Eve. And then we get a little bit more realized when he when he shows up and gives a promise to Abraham, and then a little bit more realized when he shows up and gives a promise to David, our life is very much like that. Jesus is on the throne, and we're realizing what that means year after year, generation after generation. And we don't know how long it's going to take to see the best. We don't know how long it's going to take for this kingdom to be fully realized, but we know where we're going. We know the direction that we're walking. We know who the king is. We know what he's accomplished. We know where sin belongs. We know so much more than Eve did. We know so much more than Abraham or David or even the, the, the followers of Jesus in his life did. We know so much more. And yet we don't fully realize everything. And what's so cool is you have a job to play in that. You're a king. You're a queen in that kingdom, and you have a very important role to help the, the rest of the world and yourself realize it fully. In, in the rest of the series, I kind of want to tease this out, because in the rest of the series, we really haven't even got into the nuts and bolts. Last week with Adam, this week with me, was like a big, long introduction. And in, in the coming weeks, we're going to really get into what it looks like to live in this better-than-expected kingdom. We're going to preach through the gospel of Matthew, and, and we're even going to spend time in small groups talking it over with each other um, in a lot of our weeks. We're going to preach and then get into small groups and talk this out because especially something like this, we want to hear from God. We want to preach the gospel, but then we want to talk the gospel. We want to rub shoulders with each other, and we want to hear from each other and, and get real with each other about how this affects our life. How do we live in this better-than-expected kingdom? 
How do we live there? But for tonight, as we wrap this up and get you guys out of here, for tonight and this week, I would encourage you to respond how David did when he was given his promise of the kingdom. And if you look back at 2 Samuel 7 again, I stopped it kind of short. Because we actually get in here David's response to the news that he gets from the prophet Nathan from God. 2 Samuel 7 will be in verse 18. There are just a few verses here. It says this, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. See, David responds, you can read the rest of that later if you'd like, but David responds with humble worship. Humble worship. And, you know, for the next, I don't know how many weeks it is, six, seven weeks, something like that, every week you're going to be probably told, you're a king, you're a queen. And that can really get to your head. And um, trust me, um, it can really get to your head. And it's true, you're a king and you're a queen in the kingdom of God. And, uh, and you probably haven't been told that enough. Um, my son's six, and we're reading through the Chronicles of Narnia right now, and one of the main reasons we're reading through that is so that he gets through his head that he's a king, that he's a king, and he rules, and he reigns, and the world falls apart when he's not on his throne, when he's not doing what he's supposed to do, when he's not being righteous. The world falls apart. If you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia, most of you guys are middle school and high school. You could probably read it in like two days, all six, seven books, whatever it is. You could read them all. For my son, it takes us like five years, but we'll get there. Respond with humble worship. We are not worthy to experience even this much of his promised kingdom. We're not worthy to even experience this much of his goodness, this much of his grace, this much of his mercy. We deserve so much less Every single day is better than you deserve. Every single day that you live in this promised kingdom, it's better than you deserve. It's better than I deserve. The fact that God would call you a king, would call you a queen in his kingdom, you don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. But you also don't get to lay it down. You're a king, whether you like it or not. You're a queen whether you feel worthy or not. So rule and reign and do what you're supposed to do and, and respond with humble worship. And then think about this, and David says this. This is good to remember. All that has been done, even that was true for David, it's still true today. All that has been done is still just a small thing to the Almighty God. It's still just a very small thing to him. 
And then I love that he ends it like this. There is none like God. There is none like God. His kingdom reigns forever. His kingdom reigns forever. I, I hope me and Adam have done a good enough job to get you excited to come for the next few weeks. It's so important for your life. Like, maybe the most important series for your life, especially as you enter into adulthood for some of you. So you get ready for that. What does it mean to be a king for God? What does it mean to be a queen for God? Um, we're, I'm going to pray for you guys and get you out of here a little bit early. You're welcome. Um, but I love you guys. So why don't you stand on your feet? We'll close in prayer. And um, if you can, this might be a little bit weird. But if you can, I, I felt, honestly... Uh, during worship that many of you were just distracted. You were distracted on the loser next to you, the loser within you, and not the king on his throne. And you'll get that later too. And so I think for now, why don't we close with this as I pray. I'm going to pray and worship at the same time. It might be kind of weird, but I'm a pastor. I can get away with this stuff. Um, so if you could lift your hands with me just as we focus on God. Just totally focus on God. Close your eyes. Forget about who's next to you. Just focus on God. There's, there's, we don't need any music. We just need to focus on the King of Kings. Lord God, we stand before you, humbled by you, by how great you are, by how perfect your plan is, by how creative you are, that you unfold your plan in your own time. You don't you don't release it to us all at once, but God, you expect us to live by faith. Lord, we thank you that the same plan you had when you gave your promise to Eve and the same plan and promise you gave to Abraham and the same plan and promise you gave to David is still the plan. It's still the promise. We've, we've already seen so much of what you've accomplished. And Lord, we know the best is yet to come, so we worship you. We love you. It's all about you. It always has been. It always will be. Help us to see that. Help us to see that not just Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings are about you, but every moment of every single day is about you. Lord, fill our hearts with that truth. May that change the way we live. Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Matthew and our time that we're going to have in that in the coming weeks. Lord, help us to get here every week. Challenge us. Help us to live up to the standard you've set. Help us to to rule and reign well from our thrones that you've given us in your kingdom. Help us to not be scared to be kings and queens, but help us to be bold and courageous for you. Lord, we thank you. We don't deserve it, but we thank you that you give us such a high calling. We thank you, Lord. Help us to do this well. Lord, help us to live with this holy expectation that the best is still yet to come, and we get to be a part of that. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. I love you. Have a great week. See you next week. <laughs>